What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 101 of the 2QB Experience Podcast. My name is Greg Smith, and I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. On the line with me, his second time on the show, Chris Allen of 444.com and Fantrax. You can follow him on Twitter at ChrisAllenFFWX. Chris, welcome back, man. It's good to have you again. Thank you so much, Greg, again, for uh, contacting me and letting me come back on. I know that this is some of the other guests that you've had on this podcast over the last, well, 10 weeks since we've been into the season have been so entertaining to listen to. So I was just happy to be welcomed back to the show. So thanks again for having me. Oh, man. Well, don't sell yourself short. I mean, you're a great guest as well. Um, I really enjoyed having you on the last time. Um, I, I got some feedback about that episode specifically about that two-a-day series and how your episode with uh, Jim Sonis was one of the the ones that people really like. So um, I, I'm, I'm ashamed I wasn't able to get you on any sooner. So um, let's remedy that right now. Let's talk some football. And I'm going to throw you a curveball right off the bat, something that I didn't put on the show notes. The Bills just cut Nathan Peterman. Do we care? Not really. I mean, off the top, I would say that I do kind of feel bad for him, uh, just, to, just to be quite honest, because with all of the, I guess, uh, bad press that he's received after the, after his – a horrific start last year against the Chargers, and now it's pretty much been any time that he's been, uh, he's started a game, we've been looking for a reason to target him in terms of starting fantasy defenses against him and just trying to keep all of our, if you did get suckered into drafting any Bills offensive players, it's just been stay away whenever Peterman is under center. And now it's just, now with the release, it just kind of ends that entire, I don't know, saga that's been, you know, the the dread of having to play for the Bills and whatnot. So my, my thing is that I do hope that he finds another team to work for, but I just think he needs more time to develop. So it's it's kind of sad and bittersweet, but it's just one of those things where if you're just if you're just not ready, you're not ready. And I think in his case, uh, that that kind of proved to be true. Yeah, it's it's a bummer that so uh, people so easily lose sight of the fact that he's probably a, a very good athlete, a very good football player. It's just when you're comparing him to the likes of NFL quarterbacks, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, even guys like Matt Ryan. Uh, Andy Dalton like he just he's not on that level yet and so maybe he will I don't know maybe he can turn his career around as a backup somewhere like you said get a little bit more seasoning I I have no idea Um, but I'm with you I feel bad for the guy he had a really tough go of it I mean playing behind that offensive line in Buffalo um, was not a good place for him to be um, in the first place so uh, yeah wish him the best of luck Uh, but for fantasy you're right this doesn't really impact our week-to-week decisions Uh, even in terms of streaming against the Bills we're still going to do that with Matt Barkley or Josh Allen or Derek Anderson or whoever under center just because that O-line is so bad Um, I have a, a kind of a strange question for you and if you had to pick one quarterback who's currently playing to win a game for you like if your life was on the line I wonder who you would go to and I kind of want the curveball is this I don't want you to say like the guy who would be at the top of your list I want I guess I want to kind of pivot a different way and say like where would Russell Wilson rank in that list for you because I, I, I continue to be impressed by this guy even though he's not throwing at a high volume just the things he can do on the field the talent level that he has and the skills and awareness that he has as a quarterback just they're really high up there for me and while he probably wouldn't be my first choice if I had to win a game with my life on the line he'd be up there and so I'm kind of wondering where he ranks in hierarchy for you Chris oh he's still top 12 for me I know that it's I know a lot of folks would be hard-pressed to I guess get behind that train of thought especially seeing how he's playing right now but we have such at least an adequate body of work for Russell Wilson that I still think that the talent is there I think it's just that with the introduction of uh, Schottenheimer's scheme to Seattle this is kind of the regression that we, we've seen this before right when when Matt Ryan and Steve Sarkeesian kind of met in 2017 after after his prolific season in 2016 it was one of those like well is Matt Ryan really as good as we thought he was what is what is going on with his offense why why are they not being able to produce the way that we expect them to especially coming up after that almost super bowl win the year prior so what is going on here and so now with knowing who schottenheimer is and what he's capable of doing and what he and how he likes to run this uh run heavy type of scheme we see russell wilson's numbers start to fall back but there's still the talent is there i mean i can't think of another active quarterback in the league right now that is passing for multiple touchdowns in every single game i think russell wilson has two or three touchdowns in every game except for one and the only one that comes to mind in terms of being able to be that efficient as a passer at least in recent memory over the past few weeks has been andrew luck now again the the yardage isn't there but we still know that russell wilson has the deep ball 
he still can, he still can scramble, but it's and that's the other thing that to his fantasy output that was the allure from the get go is that he was one of those dual threat quarterbacks is what he was known for. But this year he's only have I think he only has barely over 180 rushing yards and he's only on pace for just short of 300. So when he's averaged over 500 for the past four or five years, that's kind of one of those things where we have to take a step back and really look at the entire situation that's going on in Seattle right now. I think the going into this year, the understanding was that, all right, well, if the Legion of Boom is now completely done, this should put them in better game scripts for passing. But if you're not in a scheme that is really uh, conducive to the pass, this is what's going to happen. So I think folks need to kind of reel back their expectations to kind of see things for what they are. This is a run-first team. They're going to continue to be a run-first team until they can try and uh, both Russ and Schottenheimer can kind of come to, I guess, some sort of understanding within each other and how the scheme can fit so that he can maximize his talents and be that player that he's going to be. And I think when we look back on this, it's going to be very similar to that Matt Ryan, Steve Sarkeesian type thing where they just have to get used to each other. And then while that might not be this season, I still think it can happen this season, but it might be something that happens in 2019. Yeah, and... I think in spite of the fact that they're not passing as much, because he's so efficient, you can still count on him in fantasy, especially in a two-quarterback league. I want to talk about the running backs there in Seattle. What is your approach to that backfield with Mike Davis and Rashad Penny? And now it sounds like Chris Carson is going to be back in Week 11 for Thursday Night Football. Do you want any piece of that? How are you approaching those three players? I honestly don't want any piece of that. I mean, despite the fact that the volume is still there, for us to even try and understand how that backfield is going to be split, there's no other head coach that I can really think of that gives less information, or I guess uh, the most disinformation, or misinformation rather, than Pete Carroll. So while we can try and say that, well, Chris Carson has been the one that has been the most talented. Well, we've got Mike Davis, who uh, just came in, and I think he filled in quite well. But then there was Rashad Penny that kind of came out of nowhere after he was barely used throughout the entire season. So there are no expectations, or there's no there's no data that we can really go back and say, well, this is what was said, or this is what we can kind of lean on in terms of usage to say that this is the running back that I want to have a piece of. So at least for right now, uh, from a, I guess from a, redraft perspective yeah you can go out and add any of these players if mike davis happens to be out in your waiver wire i know most folks have probably already picked him up this past week after the carson injury news came out early sunday morning but rashad penny might be out there so you might want to go and pick him up but how much confidence i can't really see folks having too much confidence in actually starting him this week so sure add him but in terms of starting him i I just can't bring myself to do it yet yeah, I think if there are only two guys who are active, like when it's just Davis and Penny, you can consider starting both of them, right? Or if it's just Davis and just Carson, or just Davis and Carson, that pair, then you could think about starting those guys because, again, the volume is there. But as soon as you make that a three-headed monster, that's that's a problem for fantasy prognostication, and I, I kind of want to run away from that. Let's get a little deeper into the Week 10 recap here, Chris, and let's start off with just big picture. What stood out to you in Week 10? Uh, the big thing that stood out to me is that, I mean, what are we supposed to do with uh, with Jacksonville's defense? It just looks like all of the swagger that we expected them to uh, continue on from the 2017 season was going to be there. And then if it hasn't been injuries, it's been just poor performances in general. It's been they've been just lackluster when it comes to playing. I don't know if it's because the offense is kind of bringing them down, uh, almost akin to the Broncos situation where their offense was kind of putting too much stress on the defense and they weren't able to perform. So I see some parallels between those two teams where you know the talent is there. You know that the players can, especially especially Jacksonville, they had this, I mean, just almost historic defense last season. Where is that at now? And with Blake Bortles on the other side of the ball kind of anchoring anybody's performance, I don't know what we can expect in terms of output from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And especially after this past week, uh, after seeing uh, their center go down, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he was – I forget if he was placed on IR. I'm not 100% certain or not, but I know he's out for the next couple of weeks. So if their whole game plan, if their offensive scheme is based off of run first, let's just go pound the rock, get Leonard Fournette 20-some-odd touches, if that is uh, if that is put uh, made ineffective because of the loss of their center, now what they, they're really going to try and rely on Blake Bortles passing? 
I just don't know what that entire team or what the, both the offense and defense is going to be capable of doing uh, for the rest of the season. So it's just it really stood out to me watching the Indianapolis and Jacksonville game this past week that they just they're just without a clue where last season it was they knew what they were going to do. They knew the game plan that they were going to execute and they did that. Let's run the ball. We'll sit back, and then uh, the defense will, the defense will shine, and then we'll be able to control the games. And they try to do that this season, and it's just, I mean, the league has just said, no, <laughs> we're just not going to let you do this anymore. You guys aren't going to be able to run the same scheme, and they just don't know how to respond. And it's been pretty evident over the past at least, uh, at least past three weeks that they just don't know how to respond to this complete offensive shift from seemingly the entire league. Yeah, just their defense in general has not been playing nearly as well. Uh, and I think part of that probably has to do with injury. Like, I don't think A.J. Boye is fully healthy, or he might just, you know, be nicked up. But still, it seems like it's being affected. And the same thing for Ramsey. I'm not sure. I I could I could, I could could bet that he's not playing at 100%. There's, there's probably something. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the season they say that he was playing through some sort of serious injury that's kept him from performing at the way that we expected him to. Yeah, it's it's very possible, and I'm definitely afraid of them over the next couple of weeks. They play against Pittsburgh, whose defense has really come around, and then they go on the road at Buffalo, and we, we talked about Nathan Peterman and the state of the quarterback position for the Bills, but their defense is legitimately good. Uh, it's, it's not always shown week to week because their offense is such a mess, and it doesn't always afford their defense the opportunity to shine, but that defense plays hard. They play well, and... I would be really afraid of using Jacksonville players in that matchup on the road. One thing that stood out to me was on the other side of the ball there with the Colts against the Jags, and it was that Eric Ebron explosion. And this is coming after the fact that Jack Doyle you know, reemerged as the target hog tight end for Andrew Luck. It didn't matter on Sunday because Ebron was still the one getting all the scores. And so this kind of got me thinking bigger picture about you know, the, the value of being contrarian and if you're playing DFS and you're playing different types of formats, whether it be like a cash game or a GPP, or if you are just playing season long fantasy football, but you're trying to maximize your ceiling and maybe you have the option of Ebron versus Doyle, like how do you make that choice? And I I think that's kind of a fascinating thing to think about because we're taught over and over again that you have to chase the volume with players like Doyle. You go after the targets and over the long run, that is going to be a higher expected value play, right? But I guess I'm curious what you think, Chris. Like, what do you, how often do you make that decision to be contrarian with a player like Ebron? And how do you get there? Uh, Why do you do it? Um, Give me a little insight into your process when it comes to this stuff. Uh, At least from a DFS perspective, I'm mostly a cash game player. So for the most part, uh, at least when it comes to tight end, you're pretty much looking for somebody that's going to get you targets. At least I like to build a floor. That's my general process or my approach to building cash game type lineups. So if I know a tight end, or at least I have it, if I can project a tight end to get, I don't know, at least five or like four or five, six targets somewhere in there, they'd be something that they'd be somebody that I would want to try and roster. So at least for the past couple of weeks, we saw that uh, once. Doyle came back from the from the hip injury. We saw that Ebron's snap started to go down. Uh, then also his uh, his targets in the same along the same vein. So it was like, okay, well, if we can see this shift start to happen and things start to go back towards Doyle, Doyle would be the one that you want. But knowing how this offense has been clicking in terms of how much they want to pass, their pass to run ratio in neutral game scripts is nearly two to one. So and also we know that. Andrew Luck and his affinity for targeting the tight ends is so great. It's like, well, if you also want to get that floor and aim for upside, I can understand trying to go to Ebron. So if you want to look at it in terms of DFS uh, DFS terms, sure, you might think Doyle would be the cash game play and Ebron would be the GPP play, and I can totally understand that. But then also from if you want to look at things from a redraft perspective, how many other tight ends do you think are really going to be out there that are even going to get you some points, right? I would rather I would rather try and take a shot on a player like Eric Ebron because you know that well despite the fact that he might get you I don't know maybe two for twenty uh, you know one for one for twenty somewhere in there maybe a couple targets maybe uh, twenty or thirty yards in, in this day and age I mean that could probably wind you up with a you know a top twenty tight end with the way that some of these other ones have been playing so if the, you have a shot at getting at 
rostering a tight end that while the floor might be scary, the upside apparently is two uh, two receiving touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. A rushing touchdown. That's just bizarre to me to yeah. see Eric Ebron <laughs> having a rushing touchdown. Then sure, I can I can understand you wanting to roster somebody that has that range of outcomes for them. Well, right. And in a tournament setting in DFS, you also get the appeal of a lower price tag, right? But in season long, I just can't see it. Like I I, I would not understand anyone making the argument that oh, you should have played Eric Ebron ahead of Jack Doyle because he's a quote-unquote better touchdown threat or something like that to me when i'm setting a week-to-week lineup in an actual league just give me the guy who's going to get the targets and as you mentioned that yeah exactly for your cash game approach you kind of got to do the same thing now even in a cash game though i could see the appeal based upon salary of the player of maybe you know paying down to get ebron but at that point you could probably pay down and get somebody who has a better target expectation and I don't know. It's really fascinating to me. I saw some people arguing about this on Twitter about whether or not you should have quote unquote known to play Ebron or in your tournament stacks. And it's, I mean, to me, I can see it both ways, right? Because if you get the game where Jack Doyle is the PPR monster, then, you know, that, that decision would have made sense. And if you get the game like we did, where Eric Ebron catches two touchdowns and rushes for another, I, I don't know, that seems like an okay result, but the the process you got to get there seems a little, like you're counting on more of an outlier. And yes, I understand that's accounted for with the difference in salary, but I, I, I don't know. I just don't see that as being the correct play most of the time. I still think I'd rather go for Doyle in most situations because it's not like Doyle was, you know, a top three uh, price tag on the tight end slate either. So I don't know, just kind of fascinating stuff. I, I, I consistently see the push and pull in these arguments um i mean the the real answer is probably just to play both right is to play some lineups with doyle some lineups with ebron and then hope that you know you have the right split to where you're getting your highest possible value do you do that very often do you go in and like mix up players of similar dollar values or like play different stacks from the same team to try and gain more exposure that's my typical approach is yeah i'll build uh, a number of different both cash and uh, GPP type lineups so that I can try and while the I guess the overarching theme might be to look at floor and median projections like for my uh, for my cash game lineups I will try and sprinkle or like change my ownership across my lineups and I, while I still only play like one single cash lineup I'll make multiple and then go with the one that I feel most comfortable with with the, with again that you know, I want to try and get the most number of targets and touches out of all of my players and maximize and try and get some upside in there if I can. But yeah, I can I can totally understand like why if you want to try and I guess uh, vary your approach or come in with a little bit of a contrarian thought process for that, I can see how you can wind up there. But at least for me, if it's a more of a high variance play, I'd be less likely to wind up with somebody like Ebron in my roster for just the reasons that you mentioned. Yep. Um, another thing that stood out to me in week 10 was just the value of efficiency for quarterbacks over volume. We talked about this a little bit with Russell Wilson, but if you look at the leaderboard at the quarterback position for this past week, the quarterbacks got there without that much volume. Uh, most of the guys in the top 10 had under 30 pass attempts. Uh, a lot of the higher attempt guys ended up further down the rankings, which is kind of interesting. We just talked about, you know, chase the volume with these tight ends. It just so happens that in week 10, if you chase the volume with quarterbacks, you probably didn't do so hot because Matthew Stafford uh, wasn't great. Matt Ryan wasn't great. The quarterbacks who really performed well were the ones who threw multiple touchdown passes. Uh, I think the top six all had three or more TDs, um, and the most passing attempts of that group was Mitch Trubisky's 30 attempts. So... Uh, that just kind of stood out to me. I don't really know what we can take away from this. If this, uh, We know that touchdowns tend to vary a little bit from week to week, season to season, player to player. Maybe this is just a fluke, uh, but I just thought it was an interesting thing to note, and, and it caught my eye. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this, or do you want to talk about anything else? Yeah, I, w- I would have to agree with you on that because when it came to – especially some of the more popular quarterbacks that were playing on the main slate, it was like Patrick Mahomes. Everybody wants to try and roster Patrick Mahomes, and if you're one of the folks that – uh, really got on him during the uh, either the preseason or shortly before the season started, and you draft him in your redraft leagues. I mean, you're sitting pretty. I mean, you basically paid nothing for him in, in redraft leagues, and he's turned into essentially the QB one on the season. But this past week, I mean, where, what did he wind up with? Maybe what 200 and some odd yards and two touchdowns. Yep, 249 I mean, well, and two TDs. Right, right. So it was one of those. Okay, well, just a ho hum type of day, but it just it was. 
under our expectations, which is kind of funny. I mean, speaking of, you know, that if 20 points is basically your floor, it's disappointing. Where for a lot of other a lot of other quarterbacks, I mean, we would love to get that out of some of them. I mean, i.e. Matthew Stafford. But still, <laughs> I mean, I can, I can totally understand like where where folks can can get to that point, seeing the performances over the past nine weeks prior, and we've seen just these absolute monster games from a number of them where some of them have just they've relied on efficiency in order to get there yeah it seems like Patrick Mahomes might have broken our brains a little bit when it comes to how we approach quarterback and DFS because that offense has been so good and he's been so good that it's it's this siren song man it's like you you want to pay that top dollar price to get him into your lineup because what if this is another 30 plus point game but I think he's kind of made us lose sight a little bit of you know, those deeper-rooted mantras that we've kind of came to love in DFS. It's like, never pay up for quarterback. Like, at tight end, you always punt or, or pay up for the studs. And like, but, but specific to Mahomes and the quarterback position, I feel like how excellent he's been has kind of made us lose sight of, you know, what we should be doing at that position, which is trying to find bargains. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And it's while I know that in uh, it's easier for me to get behind the, the logic of, well, if Patrick Mahomes is going to be this great quarterback, but especially, again, if we're looking at things from a DFS perspective, he's going to be highly owned. He's going to be you know, fairly expensive. Well, where can I look for value elsewhere? And uh, I don't know if like for folks that have been following me for at least for most of this season, I've been kind of posting up my cash lineups after the game's been over. I've been playing Jared Goff, who's been essentially $1,000 cheaper on average per week uh, as Mahomes uh, – his popularity has grown because from a, from a, uh, from a, I guess, a output standpoint, golf for, in terms of, uh, if you want to compare them at price per dollar, golf has been able to put up at least similar value and similar numbers, but he hasn't carried the same price tag. So I've just been fine with saying that, well, I know that golf plays in a similar, a uh, similar offense that's going to be putting up 30 plus points but he's gonna. I can get him for a thousand dollars cheaper on average. So why not I just try and find him? Or if you can try and predict the blow up weeks, like when we were able to try and get with uh, Fitzpatrick when he was having his blow up weeks, fine. Drew Brees at home, everyone wants to try and do that, fine. Uh, but it's to me, I've been always tried to pivot away from the popular plays to try and see if I can look for value elsewhere. Yep, good deal. Uh, did anything else stand out to you from week ten? Uh, I mean, the other thing that stood out to me, and I know we've already discussed this game, but when it comes to uh, when we're when it comes to Indianapolis and their offense as a whole, I, do you think that Frank Reich is like one of the? Should he be like coach of the year? I know everyone wants to look at Sean McVay and Andy Reid and you know, some of the more the, the popular the popular coaches because those guys have been they I mean their offenses are at the top of the league. But if you want to look at a team that's really done. I guess the the most with the least amount of I guess offensive weaponry uh, to me that Frank Reich has to stand out to a lot of folks. I mean, looking at how Andrew Luck coming back from the the, the shoulder injury, that offensive line. I, I just I just feel like with the way that the Colts have been playing, uh, both on the offense and also the defense as well. I, I just think that in terms of most improved team, Frank Reich he has to stand out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't really know what the criteria should be for those types of awards, but he's got to be in the discussion. It's You hear people talk about that in basketball all the time. It's like Greg Popovich should win Coach of the Year every year just because right. he's Greg Popovich. Like I think you could say the same thing about Belichick in uh, the NFL, and, and some of these other guys kind of qualify too. I think McVay and Reed both deserve a lot of consideration. Um, but you're right. In terms of doing more with seemingly less – Frank Reich and what he's done with the Colts has got to be up there. I, I really like that call. I hadn't really thought about that yet. Yeah, it just seems like with the way that Luck has been, I forget the stat, but he hadn't been sacked in at least a couple of games or I forget like 100 or so odd dropbacks. And with the way that also they've been playing up-tempo, I think they were, if I'm not mistaken, top 10 in the league in terms of pace of play. Uh, they've been just getting the most out of, I mean, and T.Y. Hilton has only, I mean, if you were to tell me that the Colts being where they are right now in terms of offensive output and T.Y. Hilton is pretty much their only playmaker, but he only has, I think he has less than 500 yards on the season or somewhere around 500 receiving yards on the season, I would not have believed you. I mean, there's no way looking at their offensive weapons 
and like half of the half of their main offensive weapons and both Jack Doyle and T.Y. Hilton have been hurt for multiple games, but Luck has been playing great. I mean, the entire offense has been moving. I'm a little upset that you're besmirching my man Chester Rogers right now. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I would never, ever besmirch the good name of Chester Rogers. He was like the popular play. Uh, I forget which team they were playing. Uh, he was the popular play a few weeks back when he, I think he cracked like 100 yards and a touchdown or something like that. Yeah, one of those like games six. when Hilton was out. Yeah, it's like week six, week seven, something like that. Sounds about right. He's been a PPR monster for what it's worth. He only has one touchdown and 295 yards to show for it. Uh, but, I mean, hey, in PPR, that's that's all it takes. Yeah, you were right that's about actually- Hilton. He only has 430 pat- receiving yards this season, four touchdowns, and he did miss a couple games. So I guess we got to factor that in when we consider his season-long numbers. But, yeah, I, it is impressive what he's doing with this offense. The fact that Eric Ebron has been so prominently involved, like, I don't know if that's you know, more of a, a strike in Frank Reich's favor or a strike against the Detroit Lions. Like, I don't know how to parse right. that out, but either way, <laughs> uh, man, poor Detroit. Um, uh, yeah. Let's get to our awards for the week. Who was your boom of week 10, the quarterback who outperformed your expectations the most? Uh, I would say it has to be Marcus Mariota. And I know that it's it's easy to say that, well, especially now, the hindsight being 2020, I mean, if you were to look at, um, the, the Patriots defense and say that well they had they had slow linebackers and you know really their only uh, shining defensive player was Stefan Gilmore uh, but still if you look at just their season in totality with Mariota getting hurt losing feeling in his fingers for however many weeks and just they rallied to have just these huge wins especially when they they beat Philadelphia. Uh, I forget when that. I forget which week that was. If that was week four, week five, or sometime earlier in the season, and they would just rally and have these huge wins, and then afterwards it was just like all the energy got sucked out. And now with apparently he's over the injury, and they were able to come in and with Mike Vrabel being able to put together this game plan to to beat the Patriots, and it was just it was really impressive to see. And while it wasn't the greatest statistical output, I think he had uh, just over 225 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Uh, but still, you can see that he now has, I guess, a better feel for the offense and the pace of play. And it looks like he's you know, fully back from the injury when it seemed like at the beginning of the season he was still trying to adjust. And then the injury kind of set that back entirely. And now it's like he, he has a better feel for the game. And I think going forward, especially with the matchups they have ahead of them, I believe they're playing Indianapolis this, uh, this coming week. It just seems like for me, if you can get a chance to buy into this offense – uh, you, you can try and you know get in where you can and try and pick up some pieces if at all possible. Yeah, my biggest concern with Mariota going forward is the same sort of thing we worry about with Russell Wilson, that they're just not going to throw it that much. The Titans only threw 24 passes this past week. Uh, Mariota completed 16 of them for 228 yards and a couple scores. He does give you that rushing production, which, which helps. Uh, two carries for 21 yards against the Patriots. I actually expected a little bit more from him on the ground in that particular matchup because the, the Pats had been relatively bad against rushing QBs to that point in the season. But you're right, that was a very impressive performance. It's good to see him kind of getting his season straightened out a little bit. Um, for me, it has to be, I mean, I mean, the easy answer for me is Matt Barkley, who, who finishes the QB 13 pending Monday Night Football with about 17 fantasy points. Just, I, I don't know. I think this is more of an indictment of the Jets, but at the same time, like for Matt Barkley to come in off the street and post a, a respectable, you know, QB two type finish, um, that that's impressive to me. Now, if I had to pick a quarterback who you were more likely to actually have started in this particular week, I think it's got to be the QB one, Mitchell Trubisky, thirty six points, man. Like I did not see that coming, even against Detroit. I just I don't know. Like I I see Trubisky play and I see the mistakes that he makes and the inaccuracy and I have a hard time resolving that against his fantasy output. Do you experience the same sort of thing with Trubisky? Uh, Yeah, and I think with the way that Chicago has been playing as a whole, it's just hard for me to wrap my head around Mitchell Trubisky being the guy that I would roster in either DFS or even in redraft. It's like you never know what type of performance that you're going to get out of him. And now with Detroit kind of playing as a shell of themselves, again, hindsight being 2020, I can see it now. But just over the last couple of weeks, we didn't we didn't know like what type of what type of offense this was. I mean, Jordan Howard, 
Uh, he seems to be game script dependent. Uh, Allen Robinson has been banged up. It looks like he's fully back. I mean, it's just their their pieces and flashes like here and there, and trying to put it all together and look back on it all with Trubisky being the you know the one that connects all of them together. It's you never know what you're going to get. And now for this past week, man, I mean, I, I guess I mean with the way that Matt Nagy has been able to plan for uh, to plan for these games and plan for these matchups it does seem like they're at least getting on track and so i, I do think there's a at least a, a sense of optimism that could be had for that team yeah the thing that really stands out to me when i watch the bears is his embarrassment of riches in terms of weapons to use he has both the running backs howard and cohen he has Allen robinson and taylor gabriel and anthony uh, miller and Trey Burton, like it's really, it's probably going to be really hard to determine week to week which one of those guys you want to use. But the through point for all those guys is Trubisky, and I think that's what makes mm-hmm. him startable. The fact that Trubisky does so much with his legs also really helps. I just, I don't think, I, I don't think you can get away from him being a top twelve to top fifteen option every week going forward, just based upon how good that offense is schematically and how kind of script proof he is now i mean there could be some games and i'd have to look at their schedule where they're probably just going to really dominate um maybe detroit or the giants they have coming up in a couple weeks i could see those games being more more of blowouts to where they could use jordan howard more um or san francisco in week 16 the fantasy finals but i I don't know i still think trubisky will be fine in those matchups i mean quarterbacks just have a nice built-in floor anyway so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how his season plays out because he's been really impressive production-wise, like stats-wise to this point in the season, even if he hasn't been very good from a you know a real football perspective. Chris, who is your bust of the week, the quarterback who underperformed your expectations the most in Week 10? Oof. Uh, so can we just, like, can we as a fantasy community or even as a football community just agree that we're not going to watch the Oakland Raiders anymore? <laughs> can we just, like, can we just, like, not... Can we just... We'll just we'll just say that they played a game, and all right, like maybe if people want to look into the data afterwards, that's fine. But we're just not going to watch anymore. Because I don't know what to do with that team. You can, I, I don't. You know. can say that, but I live in the Bay Area. That's that game is always going to be on for me. I, I can't avoid <laughs> the Raiders. It's torture. It has to be. I just I couldn't imagine. Well, I live just like an hour north of Cincinnati, and I'm I'm stuck having to watch. Marvin Lewis completely destroy, uh, you know, what is a fairly decent offense uh, with some very nice, uh, very nice weapons and some nice talent on there. But yeah, I can understand that. But yeah, Derek Carr, I, I just watching, going back and watching that game, it just looks like all of the there, there is no, I guess, sense of urgency for a team that I, I believe, and I've seen it, I've seen the rumors, and I've seen the, I guess the theory floated out on twitter over the past couple of weeks that they're in tanking mode but it just seems like if there's a way for the players to get out of having to play they're, they're doing that they're pulling themselves out of the game snaps are being reduced uh i mean it, i saw the rumor i haven't heard uh if it's been confirmed or not but it looks like or it sounded like jordy nelson is leaning towards retirement i heard that one earlier today so uh, what's the I guess, what's the desire to go and play for a team that has that much, I guess, quote-unquote, negative energy surrounding it? And Derek Carr just really isn't helping himself. It just seems like there's nothing – there's not enough that he's doing that really inspires all that much confidence for the offense or even, like, either sides of the ball, personnel on either sides of the ball, to continue, I guess, performing at, at a professional level. Do you think that Carr is droppable in two quarterback formats? Like, let's say you have three QBs and you have your two starters and Carr is your backup, but your two starters have already had their buys and they, you know, appear to be, you know, ready to lock into your lineup for the rest of the season. Would you consider dropping Derek Carr in that sort of scenario? Or maybe a better way to frame it is, is what level of free agent would have to be out there for you to uh, make that call to say, oh, well, I can't cut anybody except for Derek Carr, so I'm going to cut Derek Carr. No, if you have two starters that are past their buys already and they're at least, I guess, at replacement level or slightly above replacement level, yeah, I'd be fine with dropping Derek Carr. I mean, where's the upside? I mean, it doesn't seem like there's any upside in in rostering him or, or trying to play him. Well, so look, I would have look no at his schedule too. I mean, his schedule is not very pretty either. It, he's on the road at Arizona and then at Baltimore the next two weeks. And Arizona's defense hasn't been great, but they're decent against the pass, and they'll be the home team there. Although 
maybe being the home team in Arizona doesn't mean much when the Raiders come to town. I have a feeling True. a lot of Raiders will show up for that game. But then he gets Kansas City and Pittsburgh. Both of like Kansas City's defense has been playing better uh, than than we might realize based upon the stats i've been saying that for a while pittsburgh is definitely especially a good with defense. justin houston coming back that's right and then they're on the road at cincinnati um I, I mean you watch cincinnati all the time what do you think about that matchup can Derek carr produce then in week 15 he might be able to exploit something with cincinnati i mean i know it was i know it's drew Brees, and there's no way we can draw a comparison between Derek carr and drew Brees. but i think if the injuries continue to pile up for uh, for cincinnati and that uh, Drake Kirkpatrick went down with a uh, with a concussion. I mean, they're already out. Like Perfect has been out. I mean, they've they've been losing starters left and right. So if that continues to be the case, I mean, it's entirely possible that yeah, I mean, Carr could put up some numbers against them. Right, but I mean, maybe you have better options in Week 15. It's distinct. That's a distinct possibility. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think he's droppable. I don't know you know, what level of player I'd have to be getting to make myself feel okay about giving up that quarterback depth. That's kind of a hard conversation to have in the abstract, I guess. I, I should have prepped a little bit more for this question. I didn't know you were going to say Derek Carr, though, as your bust of the week. Um, for me, it's got to be Tom Brady. QB 20 with under 11 fantasy points. I, I, I see Tom Brady's name, and I just want him to be better than he's been this season. Like, when I look at the stats, this is not the first time he's disappointed me this year. And it has me wondering, is the age cliff here? Are we seeing it now? Like, is this maybe not his last year of, you know, kind of high-end performance, but maybe his second to last year or third to last year? What's your feeling on Tom Brady more in the long term? Like, if you're a dynasty owner, are you worried about him based upon what he's shown us in 2018? Yeah, I would be. I would be worried about him. I mean, just pulling up, and of course, we're just doing a little bit of game log surfing here, but he has what one i see one game two games over the three games over 300 yards passing that is not the level of tom brady that we've expected over the past couple of years i mean while the touchdowns have certainly come in 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 bunches like here and there we're just not seeing the same level of output that we expect and with gronk being pretty much sidelined or rendered useless over the past few weeks and then he was sidelined this past week it's just the, the it's just not there. The offensive output just isn't there for them. So I think so. that's the argument for Brady is that mm-hmm. you can blame this on Gronk. You know what that's I mean? True. To yeah. be like, look, without Gronk, yeah. he's not the same guy. And maybe we should have been giving Gronk more credit. But yeah, Brady just he's not doing it, man. Seventeenth in points per game this season. Only three of his ten games have resulted in top ten finishes. Although, with that said, eight of his ten have been top twenty. So he's very usable in two quarterback. He just hasn't been elite, and that's what you paid for if you have Tom Brady in a two-quarterback format. Do you have anything else on Brady or any other maybe dishonorable mentions for Bust of the Week before we get into the Week 11 preview? I would say with Brady, I know they're kind of they're limping into their bye week this week, so I think that it, I think it gives them some time to really take stock of where they're at. And you know that, uh, and I know everybody knows this, that when it comes to uh, the the New England Patriots, at the very least, they they have a plan, or at least they they know how to scheme and work within that work within what they have. So while there is a sense of optimism, especially since they open up the second half of their of their season against the Jets, sure we'll see kind of where they're at in terms of personnel if Gronk can get healthy over the next couple of weeks. Then I think there's uh, at least there's a sense of optimism like if they had a their bye week like earlier in the season and they're just still kind of limping along i think there'd be a greater cause for concern but at least they have this extra week to kind of you know bear down figure things out and hopefully they'll pick things up in week 12 yeah it feels like it's coming at the perfect time for them they have you know a week off to help integrate josh gordon into the offense a little bit more a week for gronk and sony michelle to get a little healthier and I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of Sony Michelle down the stretch with that team because, again, if Gronk is not what he has been in the past, then they're going to have to lean a little bit more on the run, I think. Uh, let's get to Week 11. Let's look ahead. How does Cooper Cup's injury affect your fantasy evaluation of Jared Goff? It doesn't change much to me, like for me personally, when it comes to evaluating Jared Goff, because I do think that, as we discussed with uh, Mitchell Trubisky, that I think the Rams also do have a plethora of talent. Now, this is not to say that any of the remaining personnel on the team are capable of replacing Cooper Cup, but I do think that his role, that slot role that he was that he was playing, is replaceable. I do think that it's capable for a player uh, like. 
Gerald Everett, a player like Tyler Higbee, or even I know that Josh Reynolds is going to be one of the hot pickups for the, uh, for this coming week. Uh, I, but I do think they can fill that role and be able to pick up some of the slack with him being out. So while it doesn't change my like, it doesn't change my evaluation of Jared Goff. It's just how long will it take for the entire Rams offense to adjust? How long will it take for Goff to get in sync with those players that are going to fill fill his role? So I do think that it might might take take some time, a week or two, or something like that. Uh, it doesn't change much for me, at least in the long term. Yeah, and honestly, it shouldn't take him that long anyway because they already had a couple games while Cup was out with a concussion for you know that adjustment period to start with Josh Reynolds kind of taking over more of those receiving duties. But absolutely, yeah, Reynolds is a player I'm more interested in for DFS than in seasonal. Like I don't really care about picking up Reynolds at this point. I, I think it's just going to be tough to forecast him week to week as he competes for targets with Woods and Cooks and Todd Gurley and the tight ends maybe. But with that said, I don't think this affects Goff very much at all because. He has all those weapons. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on there. Let me bring up Marcus Mariota one more time. You mentioned him as your uh, your boom of the week. Do you feel that he's a trustworthy every week starter going forward for two quarterback players? Because he really did look bad in that first half of the season. I'm curious, you know, if you trust him going forward at a base level. Uh, yeah, I don't want to jinx it, but yes, I do trust him going forward. I think just from his just general level of comfort after going back and watching that game and just seeing how he's able to connect. Now, would I be more sure or more certain of my answer if uh, Taewon Taylor was still there? Absolutely. Uh, Tajay Sharp. I mean, even though we don't really look at Tajay Sharp as a, as a huge asset or anything like that, but I would like to see an offense that has more to it than just Corey Davis. While I think that Corey Davis played, I mean, just lights out this past week, I would like to see my quarterback have at least more options for him like when it comes to uh, when it comes to making plays like that so i would say a tentative yes and i don't want to jinx it but yeah i do think that mariota i, I would trust him going forward yeah it, it's it's a tough one for me because it does seem like he's turning the corner to some extent but it's hard to tell how much of those early season struggles were due to injury versus due to his tough schedule versus due to the loss of weapons that he had here. I mean, he still doesn't have Delaney Walker. Uh, Taewon Taylor's out now. The schedule gets easier down the stretch, but it's not necessarily a cakewalk. Like, I just don't... I I don't know. I'm still worried about him a little bit, mostly because of what you said. If Corey Davis can be taken away by the opposing defense, who's he going to throw to? Is it the John Smith show? Like, I wish I knew what happened between the Titans and Richard Matthews, because he was really good last year, and... I, I guess it's a little damning that only the Jets were willing to pick him up, and the Jets are one of the most wide receiver needy teams in football. So maybe there's something going on with Richard Matthews that we don't understand. But man, that really seemed like a missed opportunity for both him and for Mariota. Like I, I don't know why they didn't see it either. I wish I wish I knew. Yeah, I think that's one of the bigger off-season stories that we really didn't get a ton of clarity on was this Richard Matthews thing, and I think that really was kind of the catalyst for I guess setting off this chain of events that kind of puts the uh, the Titans in the situation that they're in, because with as heavily involved as Matthews was last season, taking that away and then expecting players like I mean Taewon Taylor and Tajay Sharp to kind of jump into the limelight where coaches, I mean, they didn't really see all too many snaps, how much time they had to work with the first-team offense. They didn't really have that same amount of uh, the ability to get in sync with Mariota. So it's like I can see kind of why we're in the position that we're in when it comes to evaluating Mariota because he's playing in almost a completely new offense with completely new players, with Delaney Walker being gone. And now having to work with Johnny Smith and adjusting to this split with the within the backfield between Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry, which is completely different than what we expected. So with all that being said, yeah, it's just not having that offensive continuity, which a lot of folks kind of, I guess they they bank on when it comes to looking at their quarterback. I can understand like why. Again, I'm tentative to say yes. I do believe, especially with their upcoming matchups, it's possible. So I. It's a tentative yes. Yeah. Yeah, and there are some really nice ones coming up. They get Indy this week and then the Jets in a couple more weeks, the Giants after that. And the Giants are actually pretty good on defense or, or not they're not terrible on defense, but that's right. still a matchup where I think uh Mariota and this offense can succeed if they kind of continue to ramp up um, you know, now that he's a little healthier. I think that that's something to look out for. 
who's your favorite or most intriguing quarterback streamer of the week looking for kind of a low-end QB2 or a QB3 type who owners wouldn't always start but this week the outlook uh, seems better to you uh, I mean, it's perfect that you asked me because I spent the day since I was off for Veterans Day, and uh, thank you to all that have served. I wanted to get that out there real quick. Thank you. Um, uh, I actually, Marcus Mariota, he is my top streaming pick for uh, for this week. I think if not just the talent that we saw displayed this past week, but also the matchup in and of itself, and that we talked about Indianapolis and the way that their offense likes to play up tempo, but we also saw that. I mean, Blake Bortles put up, I think, 20-some-odd fantasy points on his own against them. Now, I think one of them, one of the touchdowns came off of the, I think it was like 80-yard pass to Dante Moncrief. So, yeah, part of Bortles' uh, performance was somewhat fluky, but at the same time, uh, the Jacksonville offense was able to stay on schedule, move the ball down the field, and play at a similar pace to Indianapolis, which is why you got the high-scoring affair that we saw uh, yesterday. So, at least to me... I do think that is something that uh, the Titans can replicate against Indianapolis. So he is my he is my top streamer. I know, especially after uh, everybody's looking at uh, the way that the Patriots uh, weren't able to really match up well against them, and he'll be a popular ad. So at least for a slightly deeper pick as somebody that I'm looking at, and I don't know if how the injury situation is going to fall out, but. I don't. I don't know. I mean, what what do you think about Joe Flacco? Assuming that he's not, I mean, completely hurt. So the the guy the guy I have on my list uh, for that matchup isn't Joe Flacco. It's Lamar Jackson. <laughs> yeah, see, he's, that's what I was thinking. I, I, I literally wrote Ravens quarterback against the Bengals. Yeah, Ravens that's quarterback? What I had question mark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I had written in the column. And I was like, well, I'll just I'll see if I can find somebody else that would be a little bit easier because we don't know about that about his hip injury. Well, like you said, you know better than anybody that this Cincinnati matchup is a pretty decent one for quarterbacks, and I, I I think you're right. No matter who it is there, whether it's Flacco or Jackson, that's an intriguing streamer. But Jackson's the one who I'm in, you know, most intrigued by because if he gets the start, he could pile up, you know, how many rushing yards against that team and how many fantasy points to go along with that. These, you know, run heavy quarterbacks historically have been very very good in fantasy football and. The most recent example is probably Tyrod Taylor, but you can go back further to like the really niche or niche uh, rushing quarterbacks like Tim Tebow or Terrell Pryor back when he was a quarterback. And it doesn't matter how bad they are with their arm, they're going to produce just because they run the ball so much. And that alone makes Jackson like he, he was a must add, I think, last week after we heard rumblings that he, you know, might come in for an injured Flacco. Uh, so yeah, he's definitely on my radar. Flacco less so just because, I don't know, I just don't like Flacco that much at a base level. Um, I, I like your Mariota pick. I think that him and Dak Prescott going up against the Falcons, those are the two kind of top-end streamers. Like if you have Prescott and Mariota, you're not worried about starting either of those guys this week just because their mm-hmm. matchups are on point. Uh, that Second Falcon- guy on my list is Dak Prescott. Yeah, Falcons' defense is super forgiving, and Prescott should be fine there. He's looked a lot better since they got Amari Cooper, too. Um, for my deeper play, I'm going to throw out Eli Manning. I, we're recording this as the Niners are playing the Giants, so I don't know how he's looked so far in this game, but in Week 11, he gets to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are the best possible quarterback matchup, so you can't ignore Eli. And then the last guy I want to throw out is Josh Rosen, who's going to be at home against Oakland. And yes, Rosen is still making too many poor decisions, but that offensive line is really, really bad. And I'm not really sure if you can kind of fix one problem or the other, you know, Rosen's poor decision-making or the offensive line struggles. You know, I think those things might have to be fixed in tandem to some extent. But Mm -hmm. with that said, the Raiders can't pressure quarterbacks. They just can't do it. So this is the one week where Rosen should have more time to throw. And I think if you look at him in the pocket when he has that time to throw you look at his footwork you look at his ability to kind of move around the pocket like i liked what i saw from him in week 10 it's just his own line did him no favors and he he just needs a little bit more help up front um i I think that he's an intriguing option this week as a a really budget player and you might be able to trade for him pretty easily now that buys have have kind of started to wrap up you might be able to find somebody we talked about dropping Derek carr earlier you might find somebody who'd be willing to trade josh rosen just because that that owner might not need Josh Rosen anymore, right? So, I don't know. What do you think about Rosen, not just this week, but kind of long-term? Do you like him as a quarterback prospect? 
Oh, as a quarterback prop, uh, prospect, absolutely. I think that while the pick, I think, kind of was met with a little bit of scrutiny, I do think that his development as a quarterback has been, I think, has been what what you should expect for some of these rookie quarterbacks coming in. And, of course, I think you hit the nail on the head being that Arizona's biggest problem, well, I think prior to the firing, their biggest problem was Mike McCoy. But now, without him, I think now that the – uh, the real issue is there is their offensive line, and you've hit three of my four recommendations uh, for for streaming this week in Mariota, Prescott, and Rosen. Rosen is my deep league streaming pick for this week, and it's for all the reasons that you mentioned. I mean, while he is on the upswing in terms of figuring out how to work within uh, within this new offense now with um, uh, with Leftwich, and now we're seeing David Johnson finally come back to life. Thank, thank you to the football gods that we're seeing David Johnson come to life. But really, it's less about, well, I guess it's half of that, that the Cardinals are starting to perform better, but also who they're about to face. And we already talked about the Raiders in that their lackluster uh, offense and their, also their defense, who they can't really, they're not generating any sort of, any sort of pressure or anything like that. I mean, they make for the perfect streaming option. So, yeah, I, I'm all aboard like trying to pick up Josh Rosen for this week, if you're in a pinch, because he's one of those ones that if you can get your hands on Mariota, get your hands on Prescott, absolutely. If all else fails, Josh Rosen, I, I think he's I think he's definitely a viable option for Week 11. Yeah, he's usable. That's, that's all we're really talking about here. Who's your clipboard holder of the week, the quarterback who you would normally start, but you're going to avoid in Week 10, or Week 11, excuse me? I'll be biased and just <laughs> to Andy Dalton. Uh, I know that I think he's owned in uh, probably 60, 70 percent of the leagues so probably by now because back when it was the high flying Bengals and it was A.J. Green scoring what the, I think he had, what, three touchdowns on that one Thursday night game, three or four touchdowns like that one Thursday night game. Yep. F- yeah. Four or five weeks ago. It was all great. But now without A.J. Uh, trying to adjust to that life of throwing to C.J. Uzoma, Cody Core. Uh, Alex Erickson and Tyler Boyd just really isn't working out for him. So the listeners yeah. probably just assumed you made up those names. Yeah, I, I mean, at first glance, you would probably think that I was, but yeah, I had to watch some of that game, which was not great. So I can totally understand like why why folks would want to be down on Andy Dalton because we've kind of seen this thing before of once they once they get behind and once their once their offense starts to implode on itself, which it did on Sunday. Against uh, against New Orleans, we go from good Andy who can make proper reads and get the ball out on schedule, and then we get bad Andy who is throwing off balance, off target, unable to hit his mark uh, when he needs to, and that leads to interceptions. So having to play against uh, the, who are they playing against this week? They're playing the Baltimore They're on week? the road yeah, at Baltimore on yeah. the road against against Baltimore. Yeah, I want no part of that. I, I really I want no part of that. I mean, Baltimore, I know they looked poor over the past couple of weeks, but they're playing, what, Pittsburgh and New Orleans? So, no, I, I want no part of that. Yeah, and you brought up that first matchup between these two teams and how Dalton did okay there, how Green had that big game, but a lot of that was due to the fact that they were getting short fields because Joe Flacco was turning the ball over. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, and, and you, who knows? Maybe we can count on that sort of stuff happening again, especially if Lamar Jackson gets under center. You don't know if he's going to fumble or throw a couple picks. Like, maybe game script just happens to make this work out for Dalton, but at a base level, we're kind of going back to that idea of being contrarian. Like the odds on play here is that Dalton is not going to look very good at Baltimore without AJ green, without Tyler Eifert. Uh, this is just not a great spot for him. He's by far and away my clipboard clipboard holder of the week as well. Uh, I want to throw a couple other names at you though, and kind of get your feeling about them. Um, Matt Ryan against the Dallas Cowboys, we saw what the Cowboys did to Carson Wentz last night on Sunday Night Football. Do you have any concerns about Matt Ryan uh, in this upcoming week? Absolutely. I mean, if they were, if the Cowboys were able to generate that much pressure against Carson Wentz, uh, I, I do think that with uh, what's their rookie's name, Leighton Vander Esch. That's right. If I'm if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, if he's still able to to get get on the ball as quickly as he was last night, I do think that. Uh, Ryan's in for something of a you know, a rough go of it uh, next week, and their their corners the uh, corners for Dallas have been playing okay. Safeties have been doing okay, 
So I do think that there's a chance that Matt Ryan underperforms, uh, you know, expectations for this week going up against that defense. So yeah, I can I can totally get behind that logic. How about Ben Roethlisberger on the road at Jacksonville? So we have two a confluence of two things here, right? Ben Roethlisberger on the road, and then Jacksonville's defense, which we've already talked about, is maybe a little overrated at this point, but they're still not terrible. Um, how do you feel about Big Ben this week? Um, especially on the road. Uh, is it an early game? I forget what time that they play. Yeah, it's an early game. So I believe Evan Silva has posted this up a few times. It's the it's the split where Big Ben plays on the road in early games. Uh, he puts up some stinkers, and I guess there's been like I don't know studies been done on it for his home road splits, but it's his home road splits in early games. So one, if even if you don't believe if you don't believe in that particular narrative, again we do believe that. Uh, Jacksonville does have at least strong personnel on defense. Uh, we do believe that uh, while their offense has started to click, we can st- we can still see how some of these matchups are going to be able to play out because Ben Roethlisberger also has an embarrassment of riches on the offense. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it really boils down to how much do you believe in Ben on the road, which a lot of folks have been down on him. So yeah, I can I can understand that at least having some trepidation with starting him. I, I think I would go the other way. I'm not really worried about him. And I understand the narratives that are, you know, against him that are not in his favor in this particular matchup. But that offense is just so good right now. Their mm-hmm. O line, especially, has been playing super, super well. And I, I think he'll be fine. Like at the, at the very least, he should finish top twenty, and that's that's what I want in my two quarterback leagues. Especially because, based upon the weapons that are around him, he has a really good ceiling with Antonio Brown, Juju, Vance McDonald, James Conner. Any of those guys can bust a big play and turn what might be a pedestrian week for Roethlisberger into a big one. So, yes, the matchup isn't ideal. Yes, I don't like that he's on the road early, but I, I kind of don't care because of how well they have been playing. And I, I don't know. I, I would not bench Roethlisberger this week, as scary as the matchup and the the splits might seem. Um, let's go to the other side of the ball. Blake Bortles against Pittsburgh. Uh, Bortles isn't a guy we would start every week, but uh, would you take special care to avoid him here in this matchup? I would. It looks like he's been able, like he's definitely buckled under the pressure. And Pittsburgh, with as much as they've they've been blitzing, I mean, how bad did Cam Newton look last Thursday? Yep. With as much pressure as they were able to get on him, and if you think that well, the way that Cam played was performing under expectations, you can definitely think that that Bortles is in line for a couple of sacks, maybe a pick at the very least is within the range of outcomes for uh, you know for Blake Bortles so yeah I would try and avoid him for this one yeah I mean on the flip side you could talk yourself into some game script being conducive for him there but with Bortles that's not always a good thing I I want front runner Blake Bortles I don't want playing from behind Blake Bortles Um, (laughs) exactly I'll throw out a few more names here just because it's a a wonky week there are a lot of really strange matchups on this slate I don't know if you've if you have that same feeling Chris but there are a lot of matchups that look a little scary, but I'm not sure how to feel about them. Um, you know, Roethlisberger was one of those, but there's also Kirk Cousins going on the road at Chicago, Matthew Stafford at home against Carolina, and that that speaking of O lines being a problem, that Detroit offensive line is a mess. Um, and then Case Keenum on the road at the Chargers. I, I I think the Chargers defense is starting to come around too. Those three guys are all a little worrisome, and I, I think that. If you have to choose between any of these guys, like because it's very possible that you have, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, Andy Dalton, and Blake Bortles as your three quarterbacks in a two quarterback league, like, mm-hmm. how do you choose? Like that 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 sort of decision is going to be really tough this week, and I think that that's that on its own is kind of fascinating. Absolutely, and I think out of all those guys, I think we've, I can definitely agree with you that Ben Roethlisberger would be the one that I'm worried about the least. Uh, Blake Bortles, at least you can try and talk yourself into a narrative to say that, well, we've seen him kind of put himself in holes and then dig them out. Uh, and I think that he still has the playmakers around him in order to do that. I still think that Didi Westbrook is talented. I still think that Keelan Cole is talented, Dante Moncrief. I mean, all of them are talented, uh, but I think the one that has the least amount of weapons to work work with is Andy Dalton. So I guess if I had to rank them, I would I would try and steer clear of Andy Dalton if at all possible. And then if you had to start Blake Bortles in a, in a two quarterback league, then sure, I can I can get behind that. What else are you looking forward to in Week Ten? Anything else jumping out to you? Oh, it has to be the the Rams versus the Chiefs. I mean, the the game opened up with a sixty three and a half point total, a game total. I've never seen that. 
I mean, I've only been covering football for a few years now, and I've never seen that sort of total or for a game to open up with that such a high of a total. And despite the fact that the Rams lost Cooper Cup, I mean, how can you – I'm trying to wrap my mind around the, these two offensive juggernauts going at it for three and a half hours. I'm just – I don't want to do anything. I don't want to have to. I don't want to have to like pay attention to anything else. I just want to sit down and watch that game with popcorn because I've been I've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks now. Gun to your head, do you take the over or the under on that line? I have. To, I'm taking the over. I mean, I, I'm I'm hoping for like a 37-33 type of finish. Yeah, I think I'm taking the under, but I have been very bad with over-unders all season, so take what I say with a huge grain of salt. Um, I, I was really looking forward to Eagles at Saints, but then Philly laid that egg last night, and I just, I don't know, now I just expect the Saints to run over them. Maybe maybe last night was a trap game because the Eagles were looking ahead to this matchup against the Saints, I'm not sure. Um, what do you expect in that matchup? For that one, I'm expecting the Saints to continue doing what they do, and it seems like it's they're rolling on all cylinders. And beforehand, if you had just told me that, and the way it was looking was that, you know, Kamara is the one and Mark Ingram is the two. And now after this past week, it looks like in games that they're able to control, it looks like what we saw in 2017, where it was more of an even split between the two. And you had that kind of boom and zoom, I think was one of the, I think one of the nicknames that they gave to Kamara and Ingram, which I kind of liked, but uh, you started to see that they're they're both capable of producing, and I can see the same I can see the same thing with uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles game. Uh, while I was hoping that there would be more of an offensive output for the Eagles, I just don't know if their offense is going to be able to keep up with the Saints. And if uh, if Dallas's offense can give their defense fits and put up enough points in order to win that game. I just don't see how the Eagles walk out of here with a win. So I just think it's going to be at least not the same uh, not the same circumstances as what we saw yesterday with the Saints playing the Bengals, but I'm I'm trying to talk myself into how the Eagles come out with a win here and I just can't seem to find it. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that that turns out to be a better game than we expect because I I think the Eagles have the pieces. They just haven't put it all together yet. And maybe we can attribute, you know, Golden Tate only being there for, you know, less than a week as part of the reason why maybe they didn't look quite as good on offense, but I, I don't know. Like there, were, it seemed like they had some deeper rooted issues against Dallas. Uh, one other thing I have to throw out here, just you know, as a very selfish two quarterback centric uh, note, and this is something that we talked about already. But Lamar Jackson potentially getting a start is something that I am very much looking forward to. If he gets the start, I will be watching that performance uh, very closely because we got to oh, see we got to see what we got in him, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I believed. And actually, I said this during the preseason was that if the Fal or not the Falcons, if the Ravens ever fell out of playoff contention or at least their season started trending down, it was my belief that that was when Lamar Jackson would take over. I know Robert Griffin is still there, but really, I mean, Robert Griffin, he's he's not your future. Lamar Jackson is is their future. So I, I'd be. I'd be really interested to see like when the transition takes place, but it looks like if this injury turns out to be what it what it truly is, and uh, Joe Flacco gets sidelined, that decision might be made for the Ravens. So I'll definitely be not looking forward to it because I hate seeing somebody get hurt. But if the case does happen where Lamar Jackson starts, I will be looking forward to that. Yeah, and you took the words out of my mouth with Robert Griffin the third. Like if they start him, I will be I'll be very surprised because that that would just. That would indicate to me that John Harbaugh is worried about losing his job. And yes. that's, the, that, that's the only motivation I can think of him using Griffin over Lamar Jackson is if he thought, oh, the only way I can win is with Lamar Jackson or, or with Robert Griffin because Lamar Jackson isn't ready. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, give me a bold prediction for week 11, Chris. Uh, my bold prediction uh, for week 11 is going to be that uh, the Titans and Colts is going to be one of the highest scoring games uh, for for the week, I just think both with the the pace of play, uh, the the way that Indianapolis has been able to scheme around pretty much, I mean every defense so far, uh, Andrew Luck's efficiency, and also with the the Titans coming on, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's definitely going to hit the over and be one of the higher scoring games of the week. I love it. That was actually on my list of things I'm looking forward to on the upcoming slate, but I passed over it because we were a little short on time. But so I'm glad you brought it up. The Titans Colts. <laughs> that's I agree. That's a really fascinating matchup. I mean, in division is pretty cool. I'm curious to see how the Titans try to attack that game in terms of pace, because it seems like 
this is the type of matchup where they would want to try to grind out the clock with Deion Lewis, with Derrick Henry, to keep Andrew Luck off the field, to limit his attempts, right? Because part of what has made the Colts good is their ability to play up-tempo, to run a lot of plays, and involve all the receivers, kind of spread it out. I think that if the Titans can control the ball and control the clock, that's that's the one thing that could spoil your overbet. Um, but I, I think that I don't think they're necessarily going to be able to contain the Colts' offense either. So I agree. It's a, it's a really fascinating matchup and one that I'm looking forward to. But yeah, that, that's a really exciting one. I, I can't wait to see that game. Um, thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. Uh, listeners, you can follow him at Chris Allen. That's A-L-L-E-N-F-F-W-X on Twitter. Uh, Chris, you got anything you want to plug or any final thoughts before we wrap wrap up the show? Absolutely. Uh, again, thanks for letting me come on, Greg. It's always a pleasure to sit down and get a chance and talk football with you. Uh, hopefully I can come back at, at any time. You need a you need a guest, you just uh, you give me a holler and I'll be here. But uh, yeah, I'd like to plug my uh, my weekly quarterback streaming article. You can find that over at 4 for 4. I do that every week. And so it's fun to kind of work through each of the matchups, look at some of the quarterbacks that are kind of unknown or at least are, are under-owned and uh, try and work through each of those matchups. So you can find all of my thoughts uh, over on over on 4 for 4. Also working uh, or working with fan tracks to, and we put out or we're going to be putting out a weekly roundtable discussion where we get the writers together and just throw out just a general question over uh, just particular to fantasy football and not just the weekly matchups, but just, I guess, kind of how the, the league is trending in general or how fantasy football, uh, at least the, the meta game in and of itself has kind of been for this, for this season. So we're kind of looking at all things. So definitely look for that. So those are the two, uh, I guess, uh, big projects that I have going on right now. So uh, hopefully you guys will be able to check that out. We, uh, the weekly streaming article should be out. So today's Monday. That should be out tomorrow. And then the roundtable article for Fantrack should be out uh, Friday, Saturday, somewhere in there. Yep. And if you're listening to this, uh, check out the show notes of the episode. I'll put links to that stuff in the show notes so you can find it. Um, Chris, we'll have to connect a little later in the week to get the link for that roundtable, but we should be able to make that work. Uh, listeners, if you have any questions for 2QBs for the show, for me, uh, maybe for Chris, I can pass them along if I need to. Uh, you can send those to at 2QBs on Twitter, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, you can send them to us by email as well, 2QBs at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please rate the podcast. Please review the podcast. All of those things help other potential listeners find the show and become actual listeners. And uh, we'd like to see our dreams realized in actuality. And that's that's what I want. Um, until next week, good luck. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Adios. <laughs>